Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling, as always, is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good, good. We are almost done. And I'm not excited that we're almost done. I'm excited that we're in the final stretch of this first season of Halt and Catch Fire, season one, episode eight, entitled The 214s. Before we get started, I need your help, as I typically do. Did you ever figure out where the title comes from? Because I did not. So they only mention it one time when they're talking about hacking. And they talk about the 214s of hacking. But I don't quite know what that means. And it all goes back to that article that apparently Boz read in Newsweek in the previous episode. And then he made that mysterious call. And I guess we learn in this episode that he was calling Cam to see if she could help him out. And we'll get into that. But that's the only connection I can make is that it has something to do with hacking. I'm sure if we did a little Googling, we could figure out exactly what it refers to. But we do our little little search hacking is what we do for the 214s. Okay. I didn't pick up on that at all. I was listening for it. I must have missed it both times when I watched this episode. So good on you for being more observant and more perceptive than me for that one. Thank you. Yeah. um, I found a Wikipedia article right now that said the 414s were a group of computer hackers from Milwaukee who broke into a dozen high-profile computer systems. They're not the 214s. So maybe they made up a fake group. Maybe so. For the show. Maybe they couldn't use the real. Or maybe there were the 214s came before the 414s, perhaps. (laughs) Maybe it was just half of the group was the 214s. (laughs) Somebody is going to (laughs) know all these answers and they're going to write us a letter or type us a letter on a typewriter and send it to us in the mail (laughs) and explain it all to us. Because otherwise, how how would they communicate with us? I don't know. They wouldn't fax us because that doesn't exist yet in this world. (laughs) But see, the thing is, Adam, when they deliver it, it will get delivered to our secretaries who will then tell us what's in the letter. Yeah, Right. And they'll read it to us. Yes. Right. (laughs) As is supposed to be the way it is. No, it's not. Okay. No. So yes, we are in episode eight of season one titled The 214s, or as I like to call it, The Truth Comes Out, because I think that's the big takeaway that I got from this episode, is the truth is coming out all over the place. This is like an episode of Melrose Place in a more sophisticated fashion. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, lots of drama for your mama, lots of excitement leading up to Comdex. Well, yeah, lots of answers to questions that we uh, that we had at the end of the last episode. Yeah, well, let's get those questions answered as we dive right into the cold open. We're in Gordon's house. He's got the meditation tapes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, you need that. After the freak out in the backyard, this is the perfect way to kind of center yourself again. And it's such a great little moment with him as he's trying to concentrate. And you've got Carrie Bechet in the back kind of like peeping on him. Like, you okay? And he's like, leave me alone. Get out of here. Like, I would feel that way. I'm like, I'm trying to concentrate here. At least he's self-aware enough to realize that he went... <laughs> That he went into the deep end, that he went too far with his digging the hole and his kid sleeping on the floor and cutting his hand open, that he needed to center himself. He needed to come back down to earth and calm himself down. Yes. 
I noticed on the clock, 702, and I noticed that it was a General Electric clock radio, not a Cardiff Electric. I was thinking, well, <laughs> they must have a, we talked about this last time, they must have a clock radio division at Cardiff Electric to make no. beautiful clock radios. If they do, it, they, he doesn't buy it because he knows that those <laughs> products are crap. <laughs> that's their. That's the worst division. Yeah, they don't talk about that division. <laughs> but I actually think we had that GE clock radio growing up. I remember it. It was very distinctive, and it had like the wood paneling on the top. Yeah, I remember everything those. had to have wood, or not really wood, but it's like a wood sticker or decal. I had to yeah. had to look brown and wood like for some yeah, reason. Maybe, yeah. It made me think of the Atari 2600, that kind of wood grain, like, <laughs> yes. a, like a dashboard type thing. Right. Like, it's sophisticated. It's made of wood. It's very, right. very classy. <laughs> Fit right this, on your shelf. Plastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's aesthetically pleasing. Right. <laughs> then we're in the boardroom, and we're getting ready for Comdex. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I really got excited about going to Comdex with these guys, because they were just getting fired up. I mean, it was like the war room in there. Oh, we're talking yeah. Talking about experience expensive shrimp that costs two thousand dollars and you know you can't get fake stuff you can't get the frozen stuff because people will know apparently gordon knows about this and then the booth the booth is eighteen thousand dollars adam 18 grand in 1983 dollars yeah that's yeah three times that today at least in today yeah. dollars whatever today is yeah. and bosworth is okay with the cost as long as they quote blow the balls off the numbers and <laughs> I think that's a callback to earlier in the season where he talks to Joe when he's interviewing him, and that's his concern, just blowing the balls off the numbers. Right. And Joe reassures him that that's going to happen. So here we are, episode eight, promise still unfulfilled. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm hoping, just like Boz is hoping, 20K is going to get him to have numbers that get their balls blown off or whatever the vernacular is today. Right. Whatever today right. is, as you said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and just so you know, I just double checked, and Comdex actually stands for Computer Dealers Exhibition. Exhibition. Okay, that makes so a lot the, more sense. With the C O M for Com, the D for Dealers, and the E X for Exhibition. So that's gotcha. what it stands for. And it did indeed yeah. run from 1982 to 2005. It's now defunct. Okay. There are other expos out there, but this particular right. one. Let's bring it back. No longer around. I would go to Comdex if it came back. Yeah, I would too. I would represent Cardiff Electric just for fun. <laughs> I would just pay the 18,000 times three for today dollars and <laughs> get a really cool table and put out some Cardiff Electric pamphlets. Yes. And, uh, and people are like, you know, who are you? <laughs> start showing up a giant right there. Dress in your 1983 suits. Yeah, it'd be great. Exactly. Not not blue though. Not blue because no. you don't want to get confused with IBM. That's, that's Even though right. You might look good in blue, like like Gordon would. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's also fitting that Cardiff's position as a booth once they get the announcement that they're going to be next to like Commodore and Tandy. Yeah. Uh, I like how Joe basically like positions Commodore as being a coffee cup, Tandy's a stapler, and then of course Cardiff Electric is a donut because <laughs> sure it is. But I think it's cool. It's kind of like a little, like you're almost like you're going to war. You set the positions and you're right. like, we're going to take down these people. We're, we're positioning ourselves to be really successful. And they're all excited. And then Bosworth gives Cameron this look. And I did not notice this before. And when I say before, I mean like the first time I watched this and then the first time I watched it for this episode, based off of what we find out later, I'm like, that was crucial. I did not. I think mean, what a subtle thing to have him 
do and, and it was just really great right because they didn't really have much of a relationship uh, up until that episode where i think it was the last episode maybe the one before where they were at you know at work late at night and they kind of shared uh what did boz call it a card of uh, special or something that drink that a he, card he of made. special yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's how you so, like Boswell. You just go up and down with yeah. your voice. So clearly they make they made a little uh they formed some type of pact or something at that point, but we didn't witness it all. I don't know if you caught this, but that shot where they're showing the position of their booth, it's really interesting because it's it was shot from like the ceiling, but like upside down. Like a reflection. Like, like the reflection. Yeah, it's like in yeah, so it was a really interesting choice. I always wonder why a DP makes a decision like mm-hmm. that. And if, if it was meant to sort of show how different they are, you know, from everybody mm-hmm. else that's going there, just kind of add to that the sense that they don't really belong, perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, yeah. You hope they will. But yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable shot to look at. It feels a little uncomfortable. And I right. think that's kind of the attitude of Cardiff Electric is that they don't necessarily fit into this world. And I think it kind of plays into those, um, to those Dutch angles that we saw earlier in the season where it creates right. this kind of level of uncertainty and tension. And, right. you know, I don't think it's arbitrary. Like, like you've, you've said in the past that a shot is a purposeful shot. Even right. a Michael Bay shot is a purposeful shot. If you like it or if you don't is a different issue altogether. But I think every shot has a purpose behind it and an effect, which, I mean, it gives me a lot more respect for DPs. And of course, you know, the director's obviously having some kind of hand in that, but definitely a lot more respect for DPs after going through shows like this and Stranger Things and and seeing some of those details. But I noticed that too. Yeah. And I think especially in a show like this where you have each episode has its own director, but they're mostly focusing on the actors and directing them and the drama. I think the DPs or the cinematographers for each episode might have the most sort of latitude to be creative and to sort of find interesting angles or interesting shots to help illustrate the drama that's going on on the screen. So I think that's what's uh, going on here that the DP, and I'm not sure who it was for this episode, but you know, they're taking an opportunity to kind of add their personal artistic point of view to the scene. Right. Joe and Cameron celebrate Comdex by doing a little lovemaking in the basement, I guess, or her <laughs> office. I don't know where it right. is, but clearly we catch them at the end of their uh, little encounter. And they do this sort of awkward like boyfriend girlfriend thing like where he awkwardly says i'm going to miss you and she's like uh-huh, yeah i'll miss you too <laughs> like yeah. is this the kind of relationship we're having it's this like square peg round hole relationship i mean they are definitely more than just like hookups at this point right but i don't know that they necessarily defined that relationship in terms of like they're not going on dates he's not courting her they're clearly celebrating cardiff's victories relishing in the defeats and kind of exercising that through lots of sex, to be honest. Yeah. And so I think it's just kind of a weirdly like defined teammates with benefits. <laughs> yeah, basically. You know, basically. They're on the same team. Yeah. yeah. And he's not planning on cutting and running necessarily, although the last episode no. indicated that that's always a possibility. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I think came from this conversation was that Joe has not told Gordon that he's not going to Comdex. And what a great quick transition over to Gordon, basically telling Debbie how amazing it is, like he's going to Comic-Con. Comdex! Pretty amazing, huh? I'll take your word for it. Yeah, well, it's hard to explain if you haven't actually been there. I mean, I don't want to oversell it or anything, but it is spectacular. You know? 
like the right, way he right. was describing it it's like it's it's like nerdy it's comic-con this is com- yeah. this is how you would describe going to san diego and being like yeah you better make sure you get a hotel like five years in advance or else you're gonna be taking <laughs> cabs everywhere and all these amazing parties the one thing I found really interesting as he's talking about this is that the camera never cuts back to Debbie. It's almost like he's being interviewed. And I wanted to ask you, is that a particular type of shot? I think it's just that it doesn't cut. If you cut back and forth, then you don't get that sort of raw performance where he's just going on and on and on and like one thought after the other of how amazing it is. So you kind of get that almost improvisational performance in the scene because it, the camera just stays on him and it yeah. doesn't move. The camera's not moving. It doesn't cut. And so you get just all that enthusiasm and an excitement about going to a convention, which, you know what? They can be fun. I used to go to Macworld every year when I worked for Apple, and that was a lot of fun. I started going in 1998, and it did feel like going to Comic-Con, you know, for geeks, for Mac geeks. Later on, I would go to the NAB conference, which was the National Association of Broadcasters, and that was in Las Vegas. And that was like Comic-Con if you were a director of photography, an editor, or anyone that worked in the post-production industry. So you got to see all the latest gadgets and cameras and editing software and, you know, just tools of the trade. And I think any convention where you're getting to see the latest and greatest of something in your field is going to feel like like Comic-Con for, yeah. for the people who work in that field. Yeah, I can, I can see that. My dad, when he used to, he used to work for a local construction supplies to our family owned business that has some statewide representation now would go to <laughs> every other year he would go to this <laughs> convention called world of concrete <laughs> there you it go sounds so lame but it was always in vegas the years that he would go <laughs> and every other year i'd be like can i go can yeah. i go can i go because i just wanted to go to vegas i could care less about anything related to concrete whatsoever but I think I think of this like World of Concrete is like Comdex because it's that specialty event that right. centers around that particular trade that people in that world are the only ones who get excited about it. And I think right. that like we do a thing called ITSEC in our industry, which is essentially the aviation training and the latest technology there. So it's the same thing. Again, I've never been. I regret that I don't think I'll ever get to go. I keep telling my boss, listen. You need me at ITSEC. And he's like, why? Because I want to go, man. Because I want to go. <laughs> but there's a reason they, they do them all in Vegas, right? Because that way you want to go. Because if they exactly. did it in Cincinnati, Ohio, where they all go on vacation <laughs> That's, at Cardiff. It's a vacation spot, Adam. It's not I a good hot spot for conventions. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go to that unwind. You don't want to go to that party. <laughs> right. So yeah, anyway, it sounds like a lot of fun, according to Gordon's previous experience when he took the Symphonic there. So despite the fact that it was a, a failure, he uh, yes. he still had a good time, it sounds like. He has fond memories of it, <laughs> and he can't wait to go back. Yeah. Right. But that, uh, yeah, and I think that this is what sets up that great blow up in Joe's office where he finds out he's not going to Comdex. He's like, what in the world? Why am I not going? And Joe actually makes a valid point. He said, this is a sales meeting. This is about selling it. And Cam doesn't want to go either. Just to add, she doesn't care because she understands that it's just for salespeople. She's like, why would I go? You know? And so Gordon clearly though, I think sees this as the reward for all his hard work, you know, to see exactly presented to the world. Yeah. And Joe brings up the real reason why it's that people remember 81 Joe is not letting Gordon go. So he's obviously just pissed. 
he goes back to his office to try to calm himself down by listening to those tapes and no bueno. And that's when we get to the opening credits. He just slams his Walkman tape recorder thing across the, uh, the, the room and no more, no more tapes for Gordon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's pissed off and I would be too. Listen, I would argue no one has sacrificed more on this show than probably he has, except for maybe Boz that at the end of the episode, he's sacrificed quite a, quite a bit as well, which we'll talk about. But in terms of like Gordon's family, his kid, like he seems to have put the most blood, sweat and tears, as they say, into this project. Cam has as well, but in a different way. You know, yeah. she's had her ups and downs. She has, she gets stuck and unstuck a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. When you dream of the giant, yeah. the computer then you've committed more than anybody else. That's just the truth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so after the credits, we're back at uh, Gordon and Donna's house. Hunt shows up, and it's awkward. Yeah. It's like, wow, didn't really expect that one. He's just kind of milling around outside in the dark, which is... Yeah, kind of a creeper. Never, kind of a creeper, yeah. but not really, because we like Hunt. We like the fact that, you know, <laughs> he didn't he didn't press himself. You know, he wasn't, like, trying to seduce Donna. He was giving her a fax from her loving husband, who's been absent most of the season. But uh, yeah, he he says, Donna, I want you to know, I think you're an amazing woman. And he leaves it at that after some awkward dialogue. And I don't know how to feel about this. I, I know. don't know if I should like the guy or not, because he never says anything deliberately like, leave your husband, come with me. I'm unhappy in my marriage. He never says anything like that. He doesn't try to seduce her, you know, in any way. I mean, he might be complimentary of her in work environments, but that's about it. Yeah, I think that it's a very realistic thing to be honest about your emotional connection to someone. I mean, you work with someone, they're attractive, you're attractive. It's got the possibility of happening. I mean, my wife and I were talking about this with her work environment, that there are folks in her world that are having some of not the same issues, but there's some emotional affairs going on here. There's like spending too much time with someone of the opposite sex when you're married and no one have no boundaries and things like that. And I like right. that Hunt is looking like he's balanced. He recognizes it, but doesn't act on it. Now, creeping around her house, maybe he yeah. is. Or maybe, as we find out later, maybe he's telling her that he's got to leave. And you know, and this completely spoils the section, but we don't know why. We never find out in this episode why he's actually leaving T.I. But right. we can assume that it's because he has some feelings for Donna, but he doesn't want to jeopardize her marriage don't want to jeopardize his and so the next best thing is to leave your job yeah okay. I, I mean I, mean, I, yeah. I think you're spot on I think he's removing himself from the situation by resigning because he doesn't want to put himself in a situation where he'll be tempted or whether or Donna will be tempted again you know he just thinks there's clearly an attraction there he knows that they have a history together so he is essentially I think doing kind of an honorable thing to kind of take himself yeah. out of the equation. Although at first in this scene, I thought he was trying to gather up the courage to tell her that he had feelings for her and couldn't bring himself to do that. That's what I was getting from this scene. And maybe he was, maybe he was just torn. Maybe this at this point, cause he seemed very disheveled and kind of didn't know what he was doing there. So maybe he just didn't know what he was going to do or what he was going to say, but he clearly couldn't stop thinking about the fact that Donna kissed him at that hotel. You know who did know what he was doing? It was Brian, who's creeping oh, in yeah. the background. <laughs> I thought he was gone, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't, uh, I kind of forgot all about him, but there he is. Just <laughs> cleaned up. Just... He's very cleaned up now. He's without a gun, which is yeah. a plus, you know. <laughs> right. Maybe he found another job, but he's still 
He's still not happy with them next door, it seems like. No, no. He throws out that metaphor about ugly weeds growing in the yard. He was asking Donna if she's concerned about that. And she's like, no, we're good. See ya. All right. (laughs) Howdy, neighbor. See ya. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) So she walks into the house and she's smiling. And Gordon needs to, quote, talk to her about something. And she thinks, of course, that he's peeping through the window, seeing her talking to Hunt. I'm assuming that's what the case is. But uh, but he reveals that he used the credit card to get to Comdex, and she's actually relieved. And I will just say this. I wish a trip to Vegas, flight and hotel, only cost $500 that he spent. I'm like, that's a steal, even in 82 or 83, whenever we are. I think that's, a, yeah. I think that's money well spent. I think, again, doing the, the rough math, it, it's probably like around fourteen to 1500 in today's dollars, but that still seems relatively cheap to go to Vegas, to fly there, be in a hotel. I mean, hotels are so expensive in Vegas, and I don't know how yeah. many days they're staying there, but yeah, that that, that seems, uh, perhaps Vegas wasn't quite the tourist hotspot back then that it is today. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, it's going to cost you a lot more. Yes, in, it will. In Another reason to go to Cincinnati. 20, you know. whatever it is, 2028, 20, <laughs> whatever year it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> You pick it, listener. <laughs> Just say today, <laughs> and, and that's it. it'll be right. That's right. right. So then we move to Bosworth's office, and Nathan is there, and he confronts him about this influx of cash. I really liked how this scene played out because I didn't forget about that issue that they ran out of money and they didn't know how to get it, but right. it tied that whole thing with Bosworth that you mentioned earlier where he picks up the phone, says, hey, I need you to talk to me in the morning whenever you get this. And we find out that... The company has been supporting Bosworth, just not legally. <laughs> right. Yeah. I actually didn't even know at this point what was going to happen. But in my notes, I wrote, there's something going on here. And I, in my head, I was thinking, did he pull a Superman 3 or, or Office Space hack where he like took, you know, a half a cent out of every <laughs> dollar coming in or something? I, I had this weird idea. And it's actually not that far off, but that's, you know. Clearly, because Superman 3, 1983 film. So it would yep. have been top yep. of Boz's mind if he uh, had gone to the movie theater that summer. <laughs> he doesn't go to the movies. To see it. He doesn't. But, <laughs> but you know, Boz also said something that made me laugh out loud when he walks into the office and says hello to the, his secretary. He says, Morning, Maylene. John. Oh, sweetheart. John, I can't Sweetheart, wait. you know no. I can't talk business till I get my curfew in me. Curfee instead of coffee. <laughs> and I was watching it with subtitles on, as I often do. And it's in quotes K E R dash F E E. Curfee. That's how, so that's like a slang, slang word for coffee. Yeah. Apparently. I didn't know that. Until <laughs> I get my curfee in me. <laughs> if I liked coffee, I would use that slang term all the time. Yeah, I don't I don't drink coffee either. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I like that. And, and it made me wonder like, was that in the script or did. Did the actor playing Boz just have some fun with with the dialogue there? You know, was he doing a little little bit of improv and giving Coffee a little fun nickname? I like to think that he improved it. Well, can you just say yeah. that because that sounds yeah. a lot more fun. Yeah. At one point, Cameron shows up and Bosworth basically like protects her in this weird way with the whole crappy big boss act. He's like, "What oh, are you yeah. doing in here? This is my don't. You, that's why I have a secret. Get out!" Yeah. And she looks at Nathan and she looks at him and I think she picks up what he's putting down. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Something's 
going wrong. And I almost, because I've gotten to love their relationship, I, I felt bad in that moment. Like, wow, even if I know he's not meaning it, man, that must break her heart. Like all this kinship that they've developed, this really great relationship they built could be exploding right now with him dismissing her in front of another boss. But we quickly find out that that's not the case. Yeah, but I did like it. I I love how she came in just with such enthusiasm and excitement to come talk to Boz. I was like, this is great, these two. But clearly she she was look. I think she was reading something as she was walking in. So she didn't she couldn't read the room. She couldn't see what was going on with with Nathan. So he tells Nathan that he's got a meeting and goes to the boardroom. And Bosworth makes this statement, essentially confessing that he did whatever it took to bring the future to the present. Those are my words, not his, so you won't see anything Mm -hmm. in the edit. But I love the fact that he says, this machine is the future. Make them see that. This is probably the first time that I really see Bosworth championing vocally what is happening at Cardiff Electric. He has slowly grown as a character to be this reserved, I don't know what's going to happen, I don't like this guy Joe, to, hey, these young kids, I'm going to have to either jump on board or go on a different boat, uh, terrible analogy, to finally (laughs) getting to a place of saying, you make the difference. This team makes the difference. Go to Comdex and make them see that. And I almost think this was like marching orders because of what was about to happen. He knew. I think he was saying, whatever it takes do it. And I love that he basically takes any kind of handcuffs that might be on these characters and just gives them the key and says, go do it. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely knew as soon as Nathan was in his office, because he pours himself a drink at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And even Nathan says like, it's a little early for a drink. He just kind of, you know, chugs it down. He, He knew exactly what was coming, even though we didn't. He was preparing himself. And who would have thought that Boz would kind of be the hero in a way that sort of saves the day, even if it was illegal? Right. And so the feds come in and they arrest Bosworth. And I want to make a quick observation about Mackenzie Davis. There are several things Mm. that I like about her. Her facial expressions are just on point in the show. The way she looks scared, the way she looks surprised or concerned... Her eyes, the way that she looks at people, is very compelling. And in this particular scene, right before they see the feds, her facial expression to him, it's mm-hmm. like she knows because she was a cohort in this. Yeah. If anything, she she's the one that did it. He was the one that told her to, but she's the one that kind of pulled the trigger, if you will. And, uh, and so she's probably terrified that she's in trouble and she's going to... Yeah. You know, she knows all about hackers getting arrested. So she's aware mm-hmm. of that world. And so, yeah. yeah, she's nervous. One other thing I wanted to mention in this scene is that there's a quick shot where they show a brochure for the giant computer. I don't know if you kind of looked at that, but it's, just, that, yeah. it's always interesting to look at these things. Someone had to design this and kind of make it look like a 1983 yeah. brochure. Yeah. And it says the Cardiff giant PC unit is a compact, luggable that includes everything you need to work on the go. I just thought that was very oddly worded that Cardiff Luggable. Giant PC unit. First of all, that's a mouthful, the Cardiff yeah. Giant PC unit. And it makes me wonder if it's supposed to be a compact luggable, why they call it the giant? Like that's the polar opposite. Like yeah. if someone's reading that, wouldn't you call it the micro or <laughs> the, Yeah. 
something the dwarf. that yeah <laughs> the smurf <laughs> the ewok that would be good for 1983 yeah. the cardiff ewok <laughs> yeah yeah probably get a little a cuddly luggable <laughs> <laughs> that makes noises that you can't understand, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Which is why you need subtitles to read it. <laughs> In this case, it's the PC text, right? Exactly. Anyway, it just I'm not quite sure. I wasn't a fan of the uh, the chemtrails or whatever it was called. <laughs> the contrail. Contrail. The contrail. Yeah. <laughs> the chemtrail. <laughs> but the giant isn't that much better. I get where the title name came from, but I, again, you're selling. A compact luggable. <laughs> Again, the word luggable. luggable. That's not even a yeah. great descriptor. Luggable. <laughs> if it's luggable, you don't want to tear. You don't want to take it with you. It sounds like it's <laughs> difficult to take. Like it's this is so yeah. luggable. Like I gotta yeah. lug this thing off this these stairs. <laughs> Maybe it was a typo in the midst. Say lovable, not luggable. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, man. it just those things. Again, it's on screen for maybe a second. And you have to pause it to actually take it all in. But, you know, a lot of work went into not just designing that. They had to print it on paper, you know, like it was a real brochure and put it in the actor's hand and and, and film it. And uh, I appreciate that for a second of screen too. time. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. Uh, after the feds come in, there's just this ruckus all out in the, the main area, Cube City, as we called it. Gordon sees what's going on. And he gets this idea. He starts dismantling the giant to make it look like it's just like junk. And I thought, what a brilliant on your feet thing to do. Yeah. I don't remember this. He wasn't in that meeting, right? He wasn't in there with Bosworth and and Cameron. It was with like the marketing team, but he wasn't in that room, correct? Yeah, he was somewhere else. And that's why as he comes out and sees what's going on, I think he quickly realizes I have to do something. And so he, uh, yeah, he kind of locks himself in that room. There's a lot of great back and forth cutting where they're like the FBI agents are just trying to like yeah. knock on the door, like open up and or like, do you have a key for this? Yeah, I have a key. Go get the key. And then there's, you know, <laughs> taking their time trying to get it open. And then finally, of course, when they actually open the door, he's like sitting there with his headphones on as if he's, you know, and reading a magazine or something. No, no, he's, he's, he's got the, the pocket TV. From, oh, that's uh, what it was. Yeah, from Sudoku or to, that's to, what it was. Tudoku, yeah, Tanaka, whatever it's called, from the Japanese company that makes great LCD <laughs> right. screens. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. But what a great, what a great cover. You know, like oh, I didn't hear yes. what's going on. What's going on out there? You know, <laughs> and he's. It's like he's just like a regular employee. He's not important yeah. at all. He didn't have his own right. office. Yeah, I'm just surrounded uh, by all this this junk, all this these computer parts, and it's you know, cool kind of a brilliant pressure. thinking on your feet move by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next we move into T.I., and this is what we mentioned earlier, that Donna finds out Hunt's resigning. His secretary looks a little perturbed that he did not give notice. She seems a little put out. I think it's because she's out of a job, because in that day and age, secretaries usually are with bosses for a while, I would assume, if you're loyal. And so if your boss leaves, you don't really leave with him, because the new company that he goes to is going to get another secretary. So I, I think there's a little bit of like job security that doesn't exist anymore for her. <laughs> yeah, it's very possible. Uh, although, I mean, they, whomever they get, maybe Donna will replace her, him, Hunt, that is. And maybe she will be Donna's secretary. That would be kind of kind of nice for Donna. But hmm, interesting, who yeah. knows? I'm just, who knows? Well, we don't because we don't find out, unfortunately. At least not in this episode. Truly, I truly don't because I've never seen past this episode. 
See, you keep saying that, and I gotta tell you, man. Again, I know the I know the big beats. I know the yeah, major yeah, points. Totally. I don't know the little stuff. So most of the stuff that we're speculating on, I am not just throwing you bones here. I'm actually like, I don't know. I mean, what's happening? Back at Cardiff, Joe confronts Cameron about hacking the bank to get the money from Comdex, and she's like, "Yeah, I did it." And then she yells out, "Hack the planet!" No, she doesn't do that. That would be funny if she did, though. Did you ever see Hackers? Just out of curiosity. Oh, yeah. I saw it in the oh. theater, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't get I didn't see it. Opening weekend. That Man. <laughs> that's one of those movies. Hackers and I think it's The Net are two oh, of those yeah, movies I saw that that, yep. that have a great depiction of what those things could be like. It's what Hollywood thought the mainstream public could handle regarding computers yeah. and hacking at that point in time it's like not gotcha it's not really what it's like it's what hollywood thought we would like be able to process or understand so it's yeah they, they haven't aged well <laughs> those movies but this is the scene where they mention the 414s and talk about that they are hack a group of hackers and so again i'm not quite sure what the 214 means but Clearly, the 414s were what that article in Newsweek was about, and they were a group of hackers. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a mystery. It is. Well, yeah. One that will go unsolved for yeah. one episode at least. Yeah, exactly. And then we're in Gordon's garage. The three of them are talking, and it's like Lord of the Flies in here. This is kind of what I alluded to earlier when I was like, the truth comes out. This is one right. of the big scenes. It all where that comes happens. out. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon accuses Joe of being involved in the money stealing, uh, using bad circumstances to benefit himself. Not an untrue statement, including revealing Cameron's code, which actually wasn't wiped or was saved. And that, of course, gets Cameron mad. And she says to him, you only destroy things. You never created anything. I created both of you. And Mackenzie yeah. <laughs> Davis just rears back and pops the dude. And I'm like, yeah, he probably deserved that one. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, yeah, it was a long time coming. Yeah. But yeah, thanks, Gordon, for, for screwing things up, for not <laughs> keeping the secret. Yeah, it's so bad because it's not Gordon's fault, obviously. <laughs> no, no. I mean, they think at this point, they think it's all over. They think it's all done. So what does it matter? There's no exactly there's no yeah. saving it at this point. Mm -hmm. And Gordon, obviously not being able to confide in either of these two because they're both traitors to him in some way, shape, or form, tries yeah. to confide in Donna on the phone. And because of, <laughs> I guess, the fallout from her finding out Hunt is leaving, she just kind of hangs up on him, which is so great and such a great parallel to the episode before where he goes, I got to go. And yeah. he puts the phone down. I can't deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what she says too. She's like, I, I can't deal with this right now. And I and she couldn't, you know, she couldn't deal with him just constantly complaining about his computer work problems because that's really the all of the interactions that we see that they have. Yeah. Then there's a quick scene at Cameron's house with all the the coders, and they're basically this is a cool shot because the camera just slowly kind of migrates through the conversations and you can hear, especially if you have headphones on, you can hear some of the comments about how Bosworth is an old man, doesn't know what he's doing. I hope he gets what he deserves. This really speaks to, in some ways, it brought to mind this idea of being crucified on social media where people don't have the complete story. They get the, right. you were once good, but now you're bad because you did this one thing and forgiveness is not even remotely a possibility. And then the camera shifts over and does a close-up of Cameron, 
that facial expression again that's absolutely fantastic. You can tell because she knows everything. She's not bad-mouthing him. She's not bad-mouthing her roommates or these people. She's not trying to defend either because she knows that if she starts talking, they're going to go, oh, you were a part of this. Right. She'll out herself. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot of conflict going on, and you can see that on her face, which I thought was really great. Yeah, I I agree. And Boz isn't there to defend himself, just like on social media, these people that are accused of things have no way of defending themselves. So it's, again, not that Boz didn't do something wrong. He clearly did. But what we know is that he did it for all of them. He did it for the project. And the goal, of course, was to borrow some money from the company, from Nathan's personal funds or from another part of the company. I'm not I quite sure. I think it's division. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's the clock radio division that we... Ah, do. yes. But, that makes so you know, much he was going to put it right back in <laughs> for anyone yeah. new. So assuming yeah. assuming it sold, assuming they had enough people buying it. Yeah, and I don't know the math behind all this, but I got to wonder, you stole 30 grand. That's the number that they said that the checks were bouncing for that total, 30 grand. Right. 18 for the booth, two for the shrimp, and then another 10, I guess, for accommodations and, and travel and whatnot. I wonder how many of these giants would you expect to be selling to pay back very quickly the 30K that you stole from Cardiff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, know. what what do you think they cost? I, I I think some of the other comparable, like that TI computer we mentioned in the last episode, sold for about five hundred dollars mm-hmm. at the time. This is clearly a little more advanced than that, so maybe it's eight hundred, nine hundred. So maybe if you sold a hundred, you you know, get like a hundred thousand dollars. You know, if you're selling, if you're yeah, rounding up to that a thousand. would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's a lot of confidence in the in the product for sure. Right. I mean, clearly they hope they sell thousands eventually, but <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to sell a few first and hope that they work. <laughs> At least one. That, right. And hope that there's yeah. good word of mouth. Yeah. Joe tries to get in on that early in his apartment, which looks like an office. I didn't realize that it was his apartment until <laughs> he breaks yeah. his back. But he's talking to a potential buyer. The conversation kind of goes sideways and he gets informed that IBM may be actually making a portable as well, or a luggable, I guess, if we're going to call it the true thing. <laughs> a lovable luggable. There you go. A lovable luggable. Ewok. <laughs> if we'll call it the Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> we're the best marketing team out here. Cardiff needs to hire us. At this point, he feels betrayed by his dad. And I right. think that's why he breaks the bat. That's kind of the assumption I made was that based off of their conversation that we'll talk about here in a bit, he breaks the bat because of the fact that he's like, okay, this has been stolen from me too. Then that's where the scene ends. And he breaks it over his knee. And that I don't think I could break a bat over my knee. I'm sorry. I think that would break my knee. Before it broke if you're the tall bat. like Lee Pace, you probably have really <laughs> strong legs. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. He's a giant. Okay. Yeah, that's probably he why he named it the giant. It's like, right. I'm going to name it after myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, bats are hard. Bats are very hard, and they're meant to be Wooden hard. bats are hard. Yeah, um, right. Obviously, metal bats, you don't do that at all. But wooden no. bats, I mean, that, that takes a lot of power to actually break one over your knee and not yeah. feel it in the morning. Right. Then at the, uh, at the Clark house, Donna reveals what happened in Lubbock and that Hunt is leaving. She's talking to her lovely mother. Her mom, the ever-supportive mother-in-law, says, Something like this was bound to happen. Mom, I didn't sleep with him. You're not helping. You're not helping no. at all. That's just a way to break up a marriage right there. <laughs> She's so unsupportive here because she says, Your daddy and I love you and we love Gordon because you love him. 
I mean, that's <laughs> the w- most demeaning, <laughs> a horrible thing to say. It I'm really sorry. is. And She's basically saying, leave your husband, okay? Yeah. <laughs> come come back like, to the flock. <laughs> I understand if she doesn't think he's right for her, for whatever the reason, but they have two girls together. You break them up. They don't have a dad. Uh, I love Annette O'Toole as an actress, but uh, yes. I don't love her character. <laughs> yeah. She is not the most supportive. She's the most supportive mother, but not the most supportive mother-in-law. Like she's not right. trying to. Keep she's the kind of like together. you know, in the old cartoons where you have the little, you know, the white and the devil on your shoulder and the, the <laughs> yeah. angel. She's the red devil, being like, "Just leave him. He's horrible," you know. And she's got to contend <laughs> with that, you know. Decide what does she really want to do here. The next scene is at Cardiff. This is where my eyebrows raised up a little bit because Gordon is in the car. And he basically goes Ocean's Eleven and breaks into Cardiff to to steal the giant. Right, <laughs> like, steal all, ballsy, the, all the parts. Yeah, all the all pieces the parts. He, right. Yeah, he's got the uh, he's got the big backpack and he's in street clothes for the first time. And no, yeah, no gloves, no hat. I'm assuming there's some security cameras somewhere at Cardiff Electric, but maybe not. Maybe this is not too in soon, too early. Yeah, yeah. And the FBI doesn't have a car station there just for uh, overnight, you know, just in case. I don't nah, know. it's just a fledgling computer company. It's not really, <laughs> didn't need that much security. It just needs to be turned, all the lights need to be turned off and the right. the doors need to be locked. That's the security that they need. <laughs> there's, no, there's no security guard. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> we'll, we'll just go with it. And then we're back at his house in the garage. Uh, he is rebuilding the giant. His wife says, is that the giant? And his, his response yeah. is, I also got milk. I noticed that we were out. It's so nonchalant. Yeah, like those are two equally important things. Like, yeah, I got I got the parts of the giant. I picked up some milk. You know, just all. You know. Yeah. Milk's in the fridge. The giant's yeah. right here on the table. So if you need me, I'm here, okay? <laughs> yeah. And then he totally justifies stealing it. Gordon, did you steal that? Isn't that evidence? No, 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 no. Well, if it was evidence, they would have seized it. Oh my gosh, he is starting to go around the bend. He is actually starting to lose it again. And I think obviously this is triggered by Joe's comment about the symphonic. And that's when he goes into this whole rant about how you may think this is like the symphonic. It's not that. It's not. In this whole kind of monologue, or maybe even dialogue, because I think she talks a little bit, he reveals that he knew that her dad was feeding the money for the symphonic. And that he said, it's okay. I was mad then, but I'm not anymore. I understood. And he invites Donna on board this crazy train to contact. He's like, I need you to not be the one that's stable. I need you to be crazy with me. And I don't know whether I want to champion that right then because I feel for her. I feel like she is just back in that car in the first episode going, please don't do this. Please don't do this. We have lost the wheels to this car. And we're just going down without any kind of ability to be controlled. And he's like, it's cool. It's cool. Be crazy with me. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I want to be crazy with you, Gordon. And I'm kind of with Don yeah. on that. Yeah. And and this is also interesting because we get to see the symphonic, I think, for the first time. Yes. Because he actually yeah. picks it up and just like chucks it on the ground and just shatters into, you know, 100 pieces. You kind of see that there's actually like a built-in keyboard, like a like a musical piano keyboard built in. And I'm like, oh, now I get why it was called the symphonic. It's clearly some type of keyboard connected to, to a computer for making music or something. I mean, there's some type of electronic keyboards did exist, but I guess they, they weren't directly tied into a computer. So anyway, it was interesting to see that they actually kept the working 
I'm assuming it worked, prototype of the Symphonic in their garage this whole time. Well, it didn't work at Comdex, which is well, why yeah. we are where we are. Okay. Right. Also, right. a wood panel. No no plastic, no metal. It was wood. Right. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what the purpose of the Symphonic was. Maybe it was like you played notes and that would give you keyboard commands. That would be kind of interesting. But Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just somehow the keyboard was tied into the computer. It fed it some type of information or commands. I don't know. Well, Donna in that moment insinuates that she's probably going to leave Gordon. And um, I'm disagreeing because don't leave your husband, but I can see where she's coming from. And then next we're at the bar. Gordon in those street clothes is kind of working for me, man. He feels a little different. He feels more confident. He looks confident as he's talking to Cameron. I feel like he's not the sulking over Dwight Schrute looking engineer, (laughs) but he's like, I just stole a computer from the office and I'm pretty amazing. Okay. The, The whole dialogue between the two feels really, really like passionate. Like he admits that he's been kind of a jerk to her on and off the job, but he kind of holds his own when he talks about, you know, we need to do this. You and I, our souls are basically in this computer. We need to go. Who cares about Joe? I can't do this without you. Otherwise I'm going to sell it like your mother is living inside this machine, which I thought was a (laughs) really hilarious, sarcastic way to describe this computer to make Cameron like kind of poke at her. Yeah. And and she even says like, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, I know. And it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get you to come on board because yeah, they are two halves of a brain in, in a way. They both need the other, but the other can't do what the other half can do. So yeah, it doesn't take much to convince Cameron. Yeah. She needs to be there. Right. The scene ends with another great facial expression that she makes. It's not one of laughter. It's not one of, okay, I'll do it. It's a, what I would call a soap opera transition where you have someone looking at him like, did I leave the iron on? And then we cut to the next scene, which is Joe's apartment. Right. Shit. He cleared out. He's gone. He's not gone. This is just how he lives. On purpose? God, I know nothing about this guy. Then he likes glass. <laughs> thinks, he, yeah. he thinks Joe's actually left. Like he's cleared out all of his yeah. stuff. And Cameron has to has to remind him, no, no, no. He's just minimal. He's just a minimalist yeah. here. Cameron notices the broken bat here. Real quick scene and kind of establishing, oh yeah, where where is Joe? Where did he go? And she, having met his dad, I think kind of puts it together. She kind of knows just enough about Joe and his father to kind of have a, a pretty good sense of what might be going on. Yeah. That scene sort of slides into the next one at uh, the Clark house. Gordon is trying to call Donna, but she doesn't answer. Instead goes into the garage and boots up the giant. Uh, she starts typing on the keyboard and it says, hello, Donna, what would you like to do? And she types, find my way back. And then she mm-hmm. smiles. And I think she's getting kind of She's enjoying the interface, which I think I would too for a computer of this nature at this point in time. But I can also see how it sort of inspires her because then she goes over to the symphonic. And I think if in her brain in that moment, I'm thinking she's going, man, what was it like to be creative? What was it like to really just sort of take all the, the boundaries off and just go for it? And so I think she starts trying to build the symphonic. And in that moment, I was like, yes, rebuild the symphonic. But that wasn't the purpose of the scene. It was to allow her to find that box with the ring and right. she starts crying. 
And I think also, I'll just add that I think she's also starting to be more impressed with her husband and proud of her husband. She's like, wow, you know, I think I think she's thinking, wow, he made this like this is so much more than I thought it was going to be. And this is what he's been doing, you know, when he's not around and coming home, Mm -hmm. you know, late at night. I think she especially liked it at the end when the computer basically says, you're polite, <laughs> you know, because she yeah. thanks the computer. I think she was not expecting a computer to compliment her. So, yeah, she's, uh, yeah. yeah, I think this scene is what sort of sways her back towards not leaving her husband. But we don't know that yet. And that's what's convincing. That's what's really cool is that I don't see anything on her face that says, no, I'm not going to leave my husband. At least I didn't read into that. I just read that right. she she sees this box and she starts crying. And then we get that story that Gordon tells, a really cool story of how he proposed yeah. to her with this decoder ring that Cameron calls it. But when he wanted to give it to her, she pawned that ring to give Jordan, uh, Jordan to give Gordon <laughs> an Altair computer. And I'm familiar enough with... Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all that to know about the Altair, that it was one of the first kind of monumental computers that could do these amazing things and that you could actually purchase the Altair and put it together yourself. And it was like a kit that you purchased and built yeah. essentially. And I yeah. think it's the one that uh, Bill Gates and his partner designed basic on to read basic. I'm not sure, but anyway, it was a big deal. It was one of the pioneering computers in, in the day. This very yep. much reminded me of like Gift of the Magi, this idea right. of where you only like halfway because, right. you know, he didn't pawn an Altair to get this ring for. Her. But it showed their love for one another, you know, that they, Absolutely. That they were both Absolutely. willing to sacrifice what they wanted or most that Gordon spent his last penny to get Donna this ring. And Donna knew that what he wanted more than anything was the Altair. So she pawned it so that she could buy that for him. So it, it's a story that makes you realize that they were meant for each other. And right. they were both willing to give up something that they really wanted to make the other happy. Yeah. And so he finishes that story by saying the reason he got the ring to begin with, to propose to her, was that he was going to sell his first computer and it was going to be a celebratory thing. And so that's why he bought the ring again. He had it made by the same jeweler in Berkeley and it's sitting in his garage. And, and so we get this really great story told very seamlessly in these three scenes. And it's such a great edit. Like I love how the editors chose to do this, where you have Gordon calling her, but she doesn't answer. And then she does her thing and finally gets over to the ring, pulls it out. And then he starts talking about that ring and we end the scene with him saying, yeah, that's going to be the ring that I give her because I'm confident that we are going to sell our, our first computer. It's just, it's beautifully done. It's a beautiful right. edit and it creates this great kind of seamless storytelling that I don't think I've noticed anything that stands out that much throughout the season. So great job to the editing team for that. Yeah. And I think you said it, but it was just a very sweet gesture because as he said, he promised her, or maybe did she say this? that when you sell your first computer, you can buy me the ring. I think it was that. Yeah, he, he had that ring and she sold it. And she said, when you sell your first computer, then you can get me that ring. Right. And so this was sort of coming this, full yeah, circle. Coming, yeah. Yep. And then they also mention, Gordon mentions how old he was during this whole courtship. I think he said he was 23. And I love how Cam at the end of the scene says, it's hard to imagine you and Donna ever being my age. (laughs) (laughs) They're not that much older than you, Cam. They're like maybe eight, 10 years older than you, if that. 
And she thinks they're just like old geezers, you know? They're not. I mean, Donna in particular looks like she's 25. She looks great. I don't know why Cam thinks that they're so just, I guess because they have two kids. In her mind, that's like ancient. When you become a mother, you apparently get old. (laughs) Right. Even if you look as amazing as Carrie does. Yes. Who doesn't have any kids in real life that I'm aware of, but at least not at this point in time. Yeah. I haven't talked to her lately, so I don't know. Not li- not recently, yeah. Or at all. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't know her. <laughs> so then we find out where Joe Jr. has gone. And I say Joe Jr. because he's gone to Joe Sr.'s place, his apartment or his penthouse or whatever that fancy place is. Which, by the way, Joe, I, I think this is New York. So I'm assuming he flew to New York to confront his father. As his father comes home from work, I'm assuming, kind of opens the door, puts his keys down, all the lights are on, the fireplace is on. I'm thinking, is that just normal? Does he have somebody come in like at 5.30 and like (laughs) turn everything on for like every single light? Like, I don't know, when I come home, if there's nobody else home, the lights are off. There's no fire going in my fire. I don't have a fireplace, but anyway, I just thought that was funny. He's He's got got people people with that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) He's clearly established himself as a as a guy that you right. want to either work for or work with. and Right, right. But he was surprised that someone was, like, he was shocked that his son was sitting there in a chair waiting yes. for him. So he wasn't yeah. expecting to see somebody, I guess is my point. So I'm not trying to belittle the scene. It just, I found it humorous that somehow this apartment was full of life. And yet he was surprised that someone was inside waiting for him. It's because of the motion sensors. Duh. Yes, there you go. <laughs> For 1983. <laughs> so Joe confronts his dad about IBM building a portable PC. Joe reveals that his absence after leaving IBM, because his dad wants to know, yeah, where were you? You've been in Dallas. Where were you between that and when you left IBM? And we find out that Joe is actually looking for his mom mm-hmm. that his dad apparently sent away. And harken back to that story that we had asked the question, is this the actual true story? And I think we were 99% sure that it was, but this confirms it. So his dad sends his mom away because she was a drug addict and she wasn't right for the family. Joe clearly sees something different in his mother. He says she's a dreamer. That's why he took her up or she took him up to that roof because she dreams. And he says she was on drugs. I like this conversation because both of them are right. There's this rational way of looking at the world, and then there's an irrational way of looking at the world, that we need dreamers. We need dreamers to be able to actually allow things to come to be. But the fact is, Joe Sr. says it best. He said, a dreamer is someone who makes something out of nothing, and that only comes from hard work. And I think that's what he was saying, is that Joe's mom was not a dreamer. She daydreamed, but that dream... That dreaming that she did didn't lead to a productive output. It wasn't followed up with hard work. It was followed up with her son falling off of a roof and being in traction for two years of his life trying to get better. So I can't fault Joe Sr. for saying what he did, but I understand how Joe Jr. feels betrayed because he sees both his mom and his dad in very flat perspectives. He sees his mom as free and his dad is like restrained And I think that's a conflict with him is he doesn't understand how do you merge the two? Because you can do that. You can merge being a visionary, but being a visionary with direction. And I think that's what we get from someone like Steve Jobs, who had the ability to do both. And that's where I think the conflict is with Joe Jr. here. Yeah. And they talk about that too, how Joe Sr. says, like, you're a hard worker. You got that from me. 
but he got the dreaming side from his mom. So without both sides, he wouldn't be who he is. He is a hard worker, but he has that dreaming, that the ability to sort of visualize and see potential and possibility, but that doesn't come without the hard work. You can't realize that without hard work. So yeah, I think he's coming to grips with the fact that he is a product of both of his parents, and he has a little bit of both of them in him. And so that's what makes him who he is. So that scene finishes off with Joe Sr. offering his son a job at IBM. And Joe Jr. says he wants to be in charge of the portable PC. And his mm-hmm. dad says, let me see what I can do. And it'll be good to have you back. Yeah. And I made a note here. I thought, hmm, is he doing this as like a trick to kind of get inside IBM and see how far they've gone with their portable PC and, you know, essentially like corporate espionage, take that information back and integrate it into his computer? Or is he really at this point so low where he's like coming groveling to his father for a fresh start? I wasn't quite sure. But after we see him return and tell Cam and Gordon that he's going to take a job, I'm kind of thinking he's actually, he was really going to do this. He was really going to legitimately try to restart his career at IBM. Yeah. And I think that was partly reinforced by the fact that he said something along the lines of he wants to finish what he started. Right. So the object, the portable PC, will continue its course because Cardiff Electric won't be in existence anymore because of everything that's happened. (laughs) And that's what we get when we get that great conflict between him and, and Gordon, where Gordon says, you're, you're not a visionary. You're not someone who can inspire. You don't have legs to stand on. You just spout off words. Again, these are like summaries from previous episodes. Right. But the fact is he said, you will be failing us referring to him Mm -hmm. going back to IBM because I think what Gordon believes, as we've seen in the episode with both him and with Cameron, is that real leadership and real passion take sacrifice. And he basically asked the question, Joe, what have you sacrificed? What have you given up for the sake of seeing this thing through? And just like with Joe Sr. and Joe Jr., I can see both sides of Joe and Gordon. Joe's like, look, this isn't going anywhere. This has a 99% failure rate because the company is no longer going to be doing this. Right. We don't have a computer and we don't have money. Yeah. It's like, what are we supposed to do? Practically. And this is where Gordon becomes Joe 2.0 and gives that great halftime speech, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. He, He says... Eight months ago, I was a miserable sales engineer whose favorite part of the day was clocking out. Yesterday... I broke into a crime scene to steal the state-of-the-art computer that I helped create. Cameron, the the brilliant programmer, months away from a college degree and a promising career in software, she dropped out, ended up hacking into the computers of a national bank. John Bosworth, Texas good old boy, president of the I Hate Joe McMillan fan club. John Bosworth hatched a plan to embezzle thousands and thousands of dollars just to keep this project alive. You, you made us all crazy. So don't act like you suddenly found sanity. And I think it's a bookend to that conversation in the garage where Gordon's actually admitting what Joe said he did, that I made both of you. He really did. Right. Right. He made them, he along. made them believers. He made them all believers yes. in, in the same thing. And I think that is a skill that's a that only he could have accomplished. Yeah. Ted Lasso would be proud. He would. I was just thinking the maybe, same thing. And maybe not the way, but Yeah. <laughs> and during this whole speech, I love that we see it keeps cutting back 
to Joe, and he's just got the biggest smile on his face. I love that. We don't see Joe smile very often, at least not for very long. He's just got the biggest grin, like, wow, I really, I did this to you, Gordon. I did this to you. You know, he knows. He can see. It was his plan all along, and it's all coming back together. Yeah, and the last section of that is where Gordon asks Joe for money, who reveals that this is all he has. His <laughs> right. his apartment, his, clothes, his amazing yeah. closet with the rolled up ties, and then yeah. his uh, Porsche. Yeah. And uh, he says, I guess someone was buying my act after all. Yep. <laughs> but then Cam says, wait, how much is your car worth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love how it cuts to the next scene where Joe is actually mourning the loss of his Porsche. <laughs> Yeah. Cam's like, get over it. We got, we're moving yeah. on. He could buy another one. Come on. Once this thing is a hit, you can yeah. buy five. After you pay back Cardiff. After you pay back right, Cardiff. Right, right, right. <laughs> Donna at Gordon's house, Donna's there with the suitcase, and we think, oh gosh, she's leaving. This him. is it. Yeah. And then she reveals that she's going to come with him. And I was like, yes, crazy train. Welcome aboard. Let's go. It was a, <laughs> it was a great twist that I think they were really setting them up this whole season for a potential divorce or separation or something like that's really where they were taking that relationship and i love this twist this kind of idea that she wants as you said to be on that crazy train with her husband that it's going to be a success she wants to be a part of it and i think she does believe in him i think she knows that he's a genius and because she's pretty much as smart or if not smarter she knows what he made is unlike anything out there. So right. she gets it. You know, if she wasn't in the industry herself, it might not be as impressive to her, but she, with her skills, gets it. But yeah, this, this clearly is not going to make Annette O'Toole uh, happy, this outcome. Because no. uh, they, I think she's watching the kids yeah. while they go off to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Before they go to Comdex, they have to make one last stop, and that's at Bosworth's house. Cameron goes in and she tells John that they won't believe that he did it alone. And those facial expressions come back. Her eyes are really big. And the way that he spouts off that technical jargon is so awesome because it doesn't sound like gibberish. It really sounds like he knows what he's saying. Did you know that damn bank was using a DEC-20 running tops for their dial-in account management timesharing system? I kid you not. Turns out if you do it quick enough, before the exception handlers are invoked, you can control C out of the user program, and then you're left sitting with a terminal session on an account which has some pretty interesting privileges, including running Kermit. Hmm. Oh, I had a good teacher. Even though he didn't actually do it, he basically allows her and comforts her by saying, look, I got this. I can explain what happened in right. a way that you're off the hook. The moment that just made me feel like he's a proud dad with his daughter, he says, Go to Comdex. Knock him dead. Do that for me. Yeah. And that's a dad hug right there that he gives her. He's Also, Cameron's really tall. Like Cameron's, she is. Cameron's, Cameron's not short. Uh, McKenzie no. McKenzie is not a short lady. And they were they were like yeah. eyeballing each other. She might even be an inch taller than him, you know, in real life. I, I think she's up there. And yeah. it's a sweet scene when he does spout that technical jargon. I kept thinking how actors really have to understand what they're saying to believably deliver something. So I bet he really had to like as an actor learn what he was saying and understand it so it wouldn't just be reciting lines. 
And I think the character, clearly, he's studied this. He's been trying to learn it. And I love how he says to Cam, I had a good teacher, referring to Cam. I thought that was really sweet because he had nothing else to do. For these eight months that they were working, he had no usable skill set, really, other than managing the money. So what was he doing? He was trying to teach himself what everyone else was doing, trying to understand. So I think he learned just enough to fake his way through <laughs> the FBI interrogation that he's clearly going to have to ha- to go through to yeah. prove that that he did this. And yeah. and I did notice, too, during that hug, when you see the camera kind of cuts to Boz's face and it kind of hands up, there's a moment where he kind of looks genuinely worried, like his expression changes. And it made me think, wow, he knows what's going to happen to him. You know, he knows he's taking the fall for this and there's really no way out of it. You know, he's he's in big trouble. He's going to prison. Mm -hmm. And for how long? Who knows? Right. But he's clearly kind of the hero here. Like if this works, if they sell this computer at Comdex, it will only be because of what he did the sacrifice that he, that he made for the team. Yep. No more Carter specials, unfortunately. Nope. Sadly. He'll be making a toilet bowl wine. What, what do they call it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Penitentiary specials right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the, the episode ends with the, uh, the, the Brady Bunch of Comdex in the car heading out to, to Vegas in the station wagon. And in my head, I'm like... But I'm excited. We're going to Comdex. And it's a it's a really nice positive ending, even though a lot of things have happened. There is this sense of like hope, possibility that Comdex could change their lives. That yeah. This is a chance that, that they have a chance. They have a shot right now to make this happen, that everyone that needs to be there is there. And if they can just wow the right people, then everything will be worth it. Exactly. And I think... One thing I'll say that Gordon said in that conversation with uh, with Joe in his apartment is that this is actually a good thing that mm-hmm. they have all this press around Cardiff Electric because they will stand out. So what they thought right. was a power move at the booth that they were in, I think they probably realized that they were just going to be little dwarves among giants, and now they can actually be a giant <laughs> right. among giants where they have this press around them and that they're going to be able to use that as an ability to show off what they've done. So I thought, what a great way to look at it, Gordon. I don't think eight months ago he would have thought of that. No, no. It's the old expression, any press is good press. And this, it, mm-hmm. it really is because they may come looking at their booth just because they want to see what a train wreck it's going to, you know, they've heard stories of everything that's happened and they'll come by and then they'll see what they've created and that will reshape the narrative. And that will wrap so. up this episode of an original series. Adam, what's coming up? Only two episodes left in season one. Yeah, next up is the, our favorite word, penultimate episode. Penultimate. Is it called Comdex? No, it's not. <laughs> it should be. Of all the titles. It's called Up Helia. I'm not sure what that means at all, but Up Helia. Three okay. words. Up Heli, H-E-L-Y. And third word, oh. Ah. A A. I thought it was like up hell yeah, but no, it's not hell yeah. <laughs> but the way it's written, hell yeah would be it, it could be if you said it out, like if you said it if you worded it you know, like up hell yeah, yeah, I guess you could say it that way, but the way it's it's uh written as three words. Yeah. 
but that so. vernacular wouldn't work in no, this no. in this era. So maybe it's right. another technical one. Yeah, again, a lot of these titles are sort of cryptic, and I'm not sure where they come from, even after seeing the episodes. <laughs> Whereas, like in other shows we've done, it's you know Ted Lasso or Stranger Things, Biscuits. you may not quite get it <laughs> in the beginning, right? But then by the yeah. end, you're like, oh, I totally get where that title came from. This, this not not so much with with Halt and Catch Fire, so. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's all it's two two episodes left. This is it. We're gonna we're gonna see how it all comes together. Yep, in Vegas, baby, Vegas. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if whatever we talk about next time, it'll just be minimal because we have to keep it quiet. Because what happens in Vegas stays. Well, there in you Vegas. go. No episode. We can't record this episode. We'll exactly. talk about it, but we will not record it for anyone else to hear. <laughs> and we have well, to record it in Vegas. So let's get our tickets for $500. Okay. Are they $500? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the hotel. <laughs> the card oh, of man, special, no we get two tickets for $500. Oh, that's a great special. And we get a nice yeah. drink. <laughs> as long as we right. say it with a country when, accent. Card of special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for uh, joining in and listening to us and joining this conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.